Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Weather Channel's Weather Geeks podcast, a special edition for Hurricane Dorian. I'm Dr. Greg Postel, hurricane expert at the Weather Channel, and I am happily and pleased to be joined by meteorologist, senior meteorologist extraordinaire, Matt, Dr. Matt Sitkowski, a fellow Badger from the University of Wisconsin. Welcome, Matt. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Well, we've got a whole lot on our plate, and we've been talking about Hurricane Dorian now for days, and I have a feeling we're going to continue to be talking about Dorian for days because the storm is now showing signs of slowing down and uh, about ready to put a devastating blow on parts of the Bahamas as it slows down at a very high impact. Yeah, the uh, you know aircraft. I should say we're recording this, by the way, um, Saturday midday Saturday, and mm-hmm. you know every, so if you're, it depends on when you're listening. Obviously, you get the latest information from uh, you know the Hurricane Center, but the planes are in there right now, and uh, they are finding a storm very close to Category Five intensity. Uh, the surface winds are up. Those, we've just seen plenty of lightning in the eye wall. And this is just north of due west right now. So, you know, tomorrow the weather starts to go downhill in the northern Bahamas. And it could be a really long duration of, um, you know, hurricane force winds for them. Yeah. And, you know, we were seeing signs, I think it was yesterday, that when the eye on the visible satellite images started to clear out, there was cirrus covering it for much of the morning. But then by late morning, early afternoon, you got to see it. And once you saw the eye on the visible satellite pictures, that was a sign that there was more significant warming going on in the interior. And that would soon be followed by a rapid drop in pressure, which is what we saw last night, right? The pressure dropped like 20 millibars in a few hours. Yeah. And then, as you saw this morning, Matt, the winds picked up in response to that. And now, as you say, the hurricane hunters are in there and finding, in some cases, winds close to 160 miles per hour uh, from some of their instrumentation. Yeah, and the, um, you know, just off the deck, um, you know, 190 miles per hour, uh, you know, about 1,000 feet or so. So it's you can have some really strong gusts with this. Uh, I'll also know very compact system, so mm-hmm. it's not a big area with these um, strongest winds, and hurricane force winds only go, about, only go out about 30 miles or so from the center. That's an important point, because a lot of times when you see the satellite pictures of a storm like Dorian, and you hear it's a Cat 4 or a Cat 5, you're kind of drawn to the fact that maybe such bad weather extends the extent of the cloud pattern, whereas you just mentioned accurately that the strongest of all the winds are really within a few miles of the center in the eye wall. If you can avoid that eye wall, not that you have any control over that, but if the eye wall avoids you, the weather will be a lot less destructive than obviously inside of that because it exponentially increases closer to the center. Yeah, you know, there's a few famous, very small, compact hurricanes. One of them, Hurricane Andrew, that I was in, and it was literally a street. I mean, not not a street, but I mean, it was just practically on this side um, where the strongest winds were. It was a change your life kind of storm. And if you were on the other side, it was a nuisance, or you know, depending on how the winds were. But it was that sort of that defined how how sharp the gradient can be with these really super intense winds, and then maybe hurricane gusts. Um, 
they could be really close, really, you know, it's like threading a needle. That's why any little wobble, that's why this forecast is so tricky, both for the northern Bahamas. It's, it's a much closer, much more dangerous situation for them, much more likely that they're going to be getting the um, eye wall, the eye wall of, of the hurricane. Um, but that's why this Florida track is paralleling the coast by every little wobble is so important, as it was the case in Matthew in 2016. That is a decent analogy that you bring up, right? I mean, it kind of, this one conjures up those images where a hurricane gets very close to the Florida coast and then basically turns abruptly and parallels it. Now, the billion dollar question is, will that happen offshore far enough to keep the eyewall offshore? We don't know that for sure. It seems like that that's right now the most likely case, but there are no guarantees. And we're hearing, you know, people in South Florida already as of Saturday morning letting their guard down because they're no longer in the cone. Well, we're playing a game of inches. I just talked to the director of the National Hurricane Center, Ken Graham, and was saying that's exactly what we're dealing with. Small movements as the storm is slowing down are going to have tremendously huge uh, potential impact changes for us. So, you know, Miami, just because, again, maybe you're not in the cone, a little wobble. And all of a sudden, you're in the eye wall. It's really, really tricky. So pay attention and uh, listen to the experts. We're dealing with a category four, you know, a high-end category four hurricane here. So, you know, if there's a 40% chance of rain for the day, you bring your umbrella to work. If you have a 40% chance of, you know, cat three winds or something like that, well, you've got to do, you know, shut her up. you got to evacuate. you got to do these big, big things uh, that disrupt your life. And that's why, um, you know, you have to just have pay so much attention. Um, now, the folks, you know, in South Florida, I think it's okay to feel good about this right, uh, information, right. and, and you can be cheering it on, and, and you can sort of have that edge taken off, but by no means is this an all-clear out of the woods. You're um, not off the hook. Right. I've been saying that right. so often, not off the hook. And you're right, the trend in the forecast is real. It is not noise, but that doesn't mean that wobbles one way or the other can make uh, make it or break it for you. Yeah, and that and then that as you go further north up the coast, you have to be more you know it's it's a greater threat. Uh, you know, Central Florida and then the, the bend all the way up the, the southeast coast. Yeah, so let's talk about why maybe the forecast has shifted a bit because I've always found that kind of interesting. What is meteorologically going on? And and Matt, you and I were talking about it earlier in the weather briefing that you know there's probably a dozen things you can point to and there's no way to know for sure. One of the things that caught my eye. And you can bring in your one of the things that caught yours as well. But one of the things that caught my eye was a little disturbance in the jet stream right now over the northern plains that is now being more clearly viewed and simulated by the models to make an appearance into the southeast, to find its way all the way from the plains into the southeast in the next couple of days, just in time to give a little bit more of a westerly wind and try to push Dorian offshore. Okay, no one knows for sure if that's going to happen, but I think the models are latching on to at least some of that picture a little bit more clearly than they were before and giving that opportunity, opening up that window for Dorian to parallel the coast offshore, but unfortunately also bring it closer to the Carolinas. Yeah, besides the storm itself, there's the interaction maybe with three other players. There's an upper level low that's moving off to the southwest a little bit that's maybe helping steer the, the storm maybe a little bit more northerly than it that would be right now. Um, there's the feature you just mentioned, and then of course there's the large scale, you know, high pressure system uh, that's just just a, just north of the storm itself. Um, and also, uh, you know, how does that evolve um, in the coming days? Because uh, it's on the western edge, and, and you know, people have been saying it's true. If the, the if the ridge is stronger and it's um, 
then, then north of the storm, you know, that'll help keep it uh, further west, uh, keep it the forward mo- speed slower. Um, the feature you mentioned comes in uh, more northerly component, maybe it turns north faster. So um, how all these systems interact uh, is going to be crucial to what happens off the Florida coast. And um, unfortunately, we don't have the NOAA uh, G4, um, hasn't been flying possibly some issues that That's happens with all of these um, aircraft. But yeah, this is the storm, uh, excuse me, this is the aircraft that flies very high, 40, 45,000 feet up in the atmosphere and samples the environment around the storm. Uh, sometimes it'll do, won't even get close to the storm depending on what's important. Uh, so this is a time where you would want to have it, like what's sample you know, around the environment of the storm, uh, dropping those drop suns, gathering the data to help the models determine how all these things are going to interact. It's a it's a complicated mix of nonlinear dynamics, and it's very difficult to forecast. So we will be watching, of course, all the latest trends here at the Weather Channel and keeping you posted on the latest. But you know, if, what can we say for people? What what can we say now about what they should expect, even in Florida, and then going northward into Georgia and the Carolinas? And you know, even if let's just take the Hurricane Center's forecast track now, as of Saturday early afternoon. Verbatim. Now, we know there's going to be nudges to it going forward, so you need to keep attention of that. But that would likely limit the impacts to probably, for example, tropical storm force wind gusts and an onshore flow that could bring flooding, uh, storm certain, maybe not storm surge flooding, but storm coastal flooding, and also some uh, squally rain showers moving in. Now, again, this is several days out yet, so there's a lot that could change. But that's the kind of scenario over Florida that right now maybe appears most likely. Not the only scenario, but the one that's most likely with maybe tropical storm force winds moving up the Florida Peninsula. Yeah, I'll also add to that um, tremendous wave activity oh, yes. just offshore. Uh, so beach erosion is going to be a real, real problem for the entire east coast uh, of Florida with this system. And then we have Georgia and the Carolinas, because let's just say, again, let's take this Hurricane Center's track of the center of Dorian, knowing that the impacts extend on either side of it. Take that very close to the South Carolina and North Carolina coasts. That potentially brings hurricane conditions to those coastal locations, introducing the notions of storm surge, potentially significant, and coastal flooding as well with an onshore wind, uh, maybe hurricane force. Yeah. Yeah, and we should stress too that you know we do not everyone gets caught up at the center. You know right. we could have uh, big impacts in South Carolina, North Carolina, and never actually have a, a landfall. Right. Right. Uh, you can have a, a an eye just offshore and have hurricane force gusts and you know battering the coast. Um, so uh, to stress the point you just made, the 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 impacts of the storm ex- ex- extend well beyond the center. Tropical storm force winds right now extend about 100 miles away from the center point. So, and the hurricane force winds, you said about, what, 25 miles or 30 25 miles? 25 or 30 miles, yeah. So it's, comparatively to other storms, it's a pretty small storm, and it may um, it may get bigger as it goes closer. And, and one of the areas of expertise, Matt, that you bring is the understanding of eyewall replacement cycles. Some of these are the internal changes that uh, hurricanes undergo, and that actually does matter for our impacts in Florida. So let's just say, for example, that Hurricane Center track is going to be what Dorian follows. If this were to undergo an eyewall replacement cycle before that, the inner eyewall would collapse and an outer one develops, extending the influence of hurricane force winds, which may bring it then to the coast. We, these are things that are just unforecastable at this range. Would you agree? Yeah, a- absolutely. So, and if that happens, that's why the size of the inner core is so important. If a storm's, uh, you know, 50 miles offshore with a 25 mile 
maximum wind radius, then they stay offshore. If it's a 50-mile radius and there it's 50 miles away, same distance, well, now you have it you know, touching the coastline. So it's not just the track, but it's also the expanding storm size, uh, which matters to the coastline. These are just impacts that we can't really forecast well at this point. It's just too soon. But um, definitely in Florida, all the way from, I'll say, Key West, but certainly the peninsula, don't lose sight of Doran. You're not completely out of the woods, even if you're not in the cone. There is still some risk. And as you accurately said, Matt, perfectly, that if there's a 30% chance of a rain shower today, who cares? But if there's a 30% chance of a Cat 4 eyewall, well, then that matters. Yeah. And every day, we've been tracking this storm all week. Every day is a different story. You know, so what's tomorrow's story going to be? You know, mm-hmm. is there going to be a shift backwards? Is it going to be a speed up or a slow down? And when something is just playing with the coast, this is, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a hurricane that you know is just, this is what it's going to do. It's going to come in, it's going to have landfall, and we'll worry about how strong it is. You know, this is one that's playing with the coastline. And every little thing, every little nuanced wiggle um, matters. Um, so what will tomorrow's story be? And that's why you have to stay tuned uh, with these storms. You know, the, uh, the, what sometimes forecasters do is draw on analogies from storms of the past to have an idea of what a, this current storm might do. I particularly, that's not my favorite way to approach weather. I view everyone individually, every individual storm separately. But in terms of impacts, if you can sort of conjure up some memories of what storms have done in the past that have, you know, done something similar, then maybe that can help you prepare for this one in sort of that way, how they might impact you. But um, that might be something to consider going forward. But again, it's still pretty early to know what Dorian's going to do and, and what how, which storm in the past it might behave like. Yeah. And I know, because uh, I've been there, I know what it's like to get your supplies and shut her up and then have to wait. Yeah, you were in Cat wait, 5, Andrew. And wait, yeah. In and, South and, other, and other threats, too. And yeah. you, you have to. This is just sort of the, this is where I live. This is what I have to deal with. And then you just have to accept that. You know, these things are annoying, especially when you're playing the waiting game. Uh, but I guess maybe just my final thing is you you can feel better about what's happening, in especially South Florida. Um but you're not out of the woods yet. You know, you have to make sure you have your daily check-ins and you're not uh, losing track of the storm because we've seen changes in the past easily that can uh, dramatically change the forecast. So, Yeah, and one thing I'd like to leave with is I remember Sarah was asking this question. Sarah Dillingham was doing this podcast with me yesterday. She said, what are the things that you would fear most? And I said, well, obviously a landfall with the, all the you know impacts that a high-end hurricane carries with it. That's number one. Number two is what if this were, I brought this up, I said, well, what if this were to completely avoid the U.S. coast with limited impacts? That would concern me in its own way, because then I would feel like that the media, in particular some media, would um, be responsible for that or responsible for unnecessary hype. And that backlash would, I think, bother me and affect me, because I think we've been all along giving the uncertainty surrounding the official forecast in a way that gives people an idea that there are a lot of options on the table, even still. But going back a few days, you know, I I feel like the uncertainty was so significant that it absolutely had to be a part of the forecast. And maybe it sounded wishy-washy, but it's a fact. I mean, the public asks for oftentimes a bit too much certainty 
than what science can provide. Yeah, it's a fine line to walk. Um, we're kind of spoiled because forecasts have been so good uh, over the past several years, um, but we don't know the final outcome yet. So stay tuned. We will uh, be following up on this podcast, hopefully tomorrow, roughly at the same time, maybe. And um, we will obviously stay tuned to the Weather Channel with all the latest on extremely dangerous category now for Hurricane Dorian as of Saturday early afternoon. Pay attention to all these forecasts. And remember, all the way from Florida, Matt, as you said, to the Carolinas, follow the forecast and listen to your local officials about what to do. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. Thank you.